It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are especially pleased uh, today to be joined by soon-to-be, officially, uh, the U.S. Ambassador to Turkey, former Senator from Arizona, Jeff Flake. Um, I'm going to call you Mr. Ambassador just to practice on this. Uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> hey, nice to be on. Uh, so you you have what we'll touch lightly. I know uh, the rules for ambassadors are very different from uh, U.S. senators and, and members of Congress. Uh, but just uh, give us a, a little reflection as you roll into this role uh, as the U.S. ambassador to Turkey. Well, I'm obviously humbled and honored um, to, to be going to Turkey. Uh, it's uh, humbling in particular because I haven't had a political appointee there for more than 40 years mm. as ambassador. So there are big shoes to fill and obviously an important country, important region of the world. Yeah, and th- and that is, it seems to be more and more that it is uh, a central place to so many things that are happening in that area of the world. And I don't think many people realize, I didn't realize it had been that long since we'd had a, a formal ambassador there. No, in terms of a political appointee from the yeah. president, it's always been career foreign service officers. But it is. Turkey literally straddles uh, east and west, the, Europe and Asia, and right there in the Middle East uh, with neighbors like Syria, Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, Bulgaria, Greece. It's, it's, uh, it's a difficult neighborhood. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I've, I've only been to Turkey once and was kind of spoiled. I was in Antalya, which is you know more the resort kind of side of the <laughs> of the country, but uh, we loved it there, and the people are amazing and, and important uh, to everything going on in that region. It, as you mentioned, it it straddles so many things. Uh, as you head into that assignment, uh, really kind of at a really interesting hinge point in your career and your service to the country. Uh, being able to look back at time in Congress and in the Senate, uh, and now looking forward to this diplomatic role. Uh, give us some of your thoughts, some of your reflections. Well, I, I obviously I was in Congress for 18 years uh, and left uh, three years ago. I'm quite concerned about where we are going politically. Um, here to get along on just about anything. That's uh, I think the biggest thing facing the country is not any individual issue, but the, the failure to get together and work on these issues. Uh, they can be solved. But that requires uh, good faith on, uh, you know, from both parties, and uh, that's been in short supply lately. Yeah, it, it has been in short supply, and obviously we've seen that right here in the the month of December as we've you know watched another kicking of the can down the road in terms of funding the government right. uh, debt ceiling coming up in a in a week, uh, the president's agenda, uh, and of course uh, the defense uh, authorization bill. Uh, all of those that seem to be. Uh, sadly, I went back uh, and almost read the same script I, I gave last year at this time <laughs> uh, in relation to uh, government shutdowns and debt ceilings. And how do we do that? What do you hope happens uh, here in the States uh, while uh, we, we won't call it exile, but while you're uh, far away? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you, you point out we're headed for another continuing resolution to go now, I guess, through February. It's been really since uh, I think 1997 since we had. Uh, each appropriation bill pass uh, before the end of the fiscal year. So this isn't just a problem that's creeped up on us lately. It's been a it's been a growing problem in Congress, but it's it's certainly I think any measure you want to look at uh, 
any metric you want to use, uh, Congress is far more divided than ever, and it's more difficult every time even to get these CRs done or these continuing resolutions. So uh, what I hope happen, <laughs> happens when I'm, while I'm gone is that, uh, you know, that the parties uh, realize that we've, we've got to work together and compromise, and in particular my party, the Republican Party. Uh, I, I hope that, uh, that we take a different tact than we have been recently. Uh, I don't think that, um, you know, arguing the last election, for example, gets us anything. Um, I think there's a wide lane for Republicans. Uh, this is a center-right country. I'm convinced. I, I remain convinced of that. And, and if we as Republicans can chart that course uh, without looking backwards at old elections, uh, we'll be far better off. Yeah, I, I think that's such an important point that uh... – especially as you look at a country that I think is starving for that kind of conversation and dialogue. Uh, if both political parties would recognize that uh, the opportunity is not in fighting over what was or even what is, it's, it's always about what's next. And uh, as, you, as you mentioned, if you look at the Republican Party, uh, if they are hunkered down in, in what was or even what is today, there's, there's no, you get to lead into what's, what's next. Right. Yeah, and, and I've always been uh, puzzled by, uh, you know, this this kind of tribalism that we've really delved into by by both parties, but in particular on my side. Um, I tend to vote Republican, certainly, but this notion that you should never vote for a Democrat, no matter what, um, it just uh, has been foreign to most of the uh, most citizens, uh, and, and I, I think uh, it should be. I mean, I if, if the choice is between a Republican who still buys in or promotes uh, the big lie of the last election that uh, that Joe Biden didn't win it. Um, if the choice is between that kind of Republican or a Democrat with whom I disagree on fiscal issues or the size of government, I would still walk on hot coals to vote for the Democrat um, because we, we simply have to get away from the kind of politics we've been practicing as Republicans, or at least the party, uh, because, uh, you know, we can survive as a country, uh, bad policy, um, you know, p- political pendulums swing wildly sometimes. But what we cannot survive is uh, this uh, continual undermining of institutions um, and failure to accept free and fair elections. And particularly as I go overseas and, and see how, the world views the U.S. Uh, we really have to get back to first principles. Yeah, those those first principles, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, we, we can't survive a lot of policies. Uh, we've proven that over the course of our, our country's history, right. uh, and that swings back and forth. And uh, if we can help people, I think, understand uh, that – in, in today's world, and I think you'll see this especially uh, in your new role, that it is uh, an allies and alliance uh, kind of leadership model that you'll have people you have to go head to head with on a number of things. And you will need those very same people <laughs> uh, to get something important done on, on another topic. And I, I think that really seems to be missing uh, in, in Washington in particular. You bet. You bet. Um, you're, you, you always have to recognize that uh, – you know, in this debate going now about getting rid of the Senate filibuster or, or simply going very partisan, I, I, I think uh, so far we have wisely resisted that urge. Uh, the filibuster rule requirement to get cloture on any big issues uh, is really one of the few mechanisms still left 
that uh, forces the parties uh, to work together. And I, I know the Democrats will regret it if they uh, succeed in, in overturning the filibuster uh, in just a few sh- short years, because times will change. The Republicans will take over. And uh, and then you'll wish that you had uh, these kind of mechanisms again. I want to go back to something you, you mes- mentioned, Mr. Ambassador, on the institutions, uh, that we're, we're losing our trust uh, in the institutions. And, and uh, as one person put it, you know, they've kind of become platforms for a lot of politicians uh, to, to do crazy antics. Uh, we, we do tend to quote your, uh, your old colleague, Ben Sass from Nebraska, who said it's, it's become performative jackassery, uh, to see who can get the most, you know, clicks and likes and cable news hits. Uh, but what do we need to do in terms of making sure we can restore that trust in the institutions themselves? Well, that's it. I think we have to trust each other more and it becomes more difficult as we, uh, you know, have become a real commuter Congress where, um, Members on both sides of the aisle really don't get to know each other that well without that kind of knowledge. There's an old saying that, you know, you'll never question your colleague's motives if you know the name of his or her children. And and that has uh, certainly been lacking uh, lately in particular. Um, you know, it, it it it's become almost a badge of honor in an election in some circles uh, to, to say, no, I won't work with the other side. I mean, I used to, I remember when, uh, in running for re-election in the House, I would uh, print brochures, you know, touting my work with Democrats on this issue or that issue or something I was able to put, push forward. And that used to get me plaudits, and uh, later it would get me a primary. <laughs> and uh, and we, we, there, there simply have to be political incentives uh, for politicians to, you know, reach the center again or to recognize that in a legislative body, uh, it only works if we work together. Uh, Barry Goldwater uh, is famous for, you know, saying, you know, extremism in defense of liberty is no vice and this and this. And uh, was viewed by some as an extremist. But uh, he also said politics is nothing more than public business. Sometimes you make the best of a mixed bargain. Mm. And so you recognize when you're in a legislative body, uh, you've got to, to reach agreement. And uh, like I said, for we Republicans on, on, on my side, uh, uh, we would do well to, to recognize that. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we've got uh, the almost newly minted U.S. Ambassador to Turkey, Jeff Flake, uh, of course, former senator from our neighbor to the south in Arizona. And uh, Mr. Ambassador, before I uh, let you go uh, and before you begin a, a really important assignment, I think a crucial assignment in a critical region of the world uh, for the United States and its interests. Uh, as you look at uh, beginning this, uh, what is it that uh, that you think most about in terms of America? What do you hope to take of America uh, to the country of Turkey? Well, gratefully, even though we've had uh, some significant differences uh, with Turkey's leadership, you know, Turkey is a member of NATO. Uh, we work with them. We have over the years and continue to on a number of issues. But there are some challenges as well. But uh, I look at my, my last stint overseas was in the country of Namibia in 1989 through 90, the year that Namibia gained its independence. Uh, their first election was the same uh, week that the Berlin Wall came down. And I remember at that time just being so proud of my country, um, at, at the example that we were to the world, the the fact that we had liberated uh, you know, in the, after the, or during the Second World War, and, and again when the Cold War 
so many countries. Um, and I remain uh, proud of my country and know that the values that, uh, that we put forward uh, will lead to a better world, better standard of living, more prosperity, and a more just and equitable world as well. So I hope that uh, I put that forward. Um, those are uh, wonderful thoughts, and uh, that is why we're uh, very pleased to have you representing the United States of America as the U.S. ambassador to Turkey. Uh, again, newly, soon to be minted uh, ambassador to Turkey, <laughs> Jeff Flake. It'll be tomorrow. I'll be sworn in. So. You'll be sworn in and uh, and ready to roll. And we appreciate your service, uh, and we appreciate you representing the country and uh, and the West in particular uh, with those principles and values that we all should be proud of and that we all should remember. Uh, that unites us all. Thank you, Boyd. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.